0: Okay, so the very last segment here on memory uh, has to do with memory strategies Um, and uh, I don't think this is going to be a real long segment because we've been talking about some of this stuff along the way about uh, how we can use what we know about how memory normally works in order to make memory easier. Now, um, I want to make a few things clear here that, um, you know, there are a lot of people in the world who are going to tell you uh, about strategies for studying and learning and what works best and what doesn't work and all that kind of stuff. I would point out that a lot of that stuff is based upon people's own experience, uh, what seemed to work for them, uh, or what they've heard other people say. Uh, what I'm going to tell you might be a little bit different than that. And because, and that's because this is what's based on research where psychologists actually do studies on what's the best way for people to learn and remember stuff. And so, um, so I'm not just telling you what I think is liable to, to work. This is what researchers have found to work in experimental studies. And the other thing is that, um, this isn't necessarily, um, focused on, you know, what if you had unlimited time to study something and learn something? You know, sometimes when people, uh, when you're having difficulty learning stuff, people will tell you, well, study more, spend more time studying. I actually would prefer that you spend less time studying. <laughs> um, I want to be able to show you ways that you can use your study time and your class time uh, better so that you have to um, uh, spend less so that you don't have to spend as much time uh, studying things because you're using your time better um, so this has a lot to do with um, what you do while you're initially encountering the material whether you're listening to a podcast or uh, sitting in a class or um, reading your textbook right what you're doing then is um, <laughs> You're not just, don't just think of it as I'm a prisoner and I need to be here and I need to put in my time. Um, If you spend that time well and you're actively engaged in doing it, then it's going to be much easier later on. And so I'm all about. uh, efficiency here. If you can uh, uh, learn something in twenty minutes that it takes somebody else uh, three hours to learn, good on you. <laughs> that's really good. I'm and I want to know how you do that, right? Uh, because that's um uh, that's the kind of useful stuff that I'm looking at here. So. Let's look at what we know. Some of this is going to be review. Um, the, first thing, the first kind of memory strategy uh, that you might use is a mnemonic device. We saw mnemonic devices before that mnemonic devices are essentially uh, retrieval cues that you set out for yourself ahead of time, um, like uh, uh, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally uh, or, um, or uh, Roy G. Biv. Uh, for the colors in the rainbow. Um, and mnemonic devices um, can be useful for remembering particular stuff, uh, but usually it's going to involve a little bit of work on the front end in order to develop a mnemonic device. So it's only going to be worth it to do mnemonic devices, um, to come up with your own mnemonic devices if it's something that's going to be otherwise very hard to remember or that you're going to keep using this thing over and over again, right? Uh, you probably couldn't use mnemonic devices for everything in your memory, but for a particular step that you're Trying to learn particularly if it's has to be in a certain order certain steps of things or something like that uh, mnemonic devices can be very useful and you can make up your own mnemonic devices um, uh, some of you probably do this already um, uh, what, um, And I think I mentioned to you before that, like, I had a friend in high school who would make up these funny and sometimes even lewd uh, mnemonic devices. And I still remember those things because they're funny and because they're lewd, because they would, um, you know, kind of stick out in your memory. Right. Okay, Mnemonic devices. Overlearning. Overlearning is continuing to uh, study and work on encoding, essentially, information, even once you think you already know it. Um, uh, So studying it and encoding it beyond the point of feeling like you think you know it. Uh, I think that a lot of students don't do this when they study. They'll, um, you know, study maybe their flashcards or something. And as soon as they get a flashcard correct, they'll put it away and not study that one again. Um, uh, Whereas what you'd really want to do is keep going over the same stuff, even though you think you know it. Um, because what you find is that you probably don't know it as well as you do. Um, you know, you, um, you n- knew it at a hundred percent that last time you looked at the flashcard, but then two weeks later, you can't remember it at all. Right. Uh, so overlearning um helps to sidestep some of that. Uh, if you think of it this way, um, you know, I don't know, there's probably some musicians uh, among us in the course, uh, taking the class. Um, uh, when you're studying a piece of music, when you're learning a piece of music, do you stop practicing that piece of music as soon as you're able to play through it once? Probably not, right? You're going to keep practicing it over and over until it essentially becomes part of you till you have to think about it, uh, till you don't have to think about it as much to play it. Um, That's essentially what overlearning is. Um, So it's essentially a part of you. Uh, Next is the difference between distributed practice and massed practice. Now, I've uh, touched on this topic before, but didn't use the terms. Um, distributed practice is when you break up your learning into small uh, segments distributed across time. And massed practice is when you jump that, jumble that all together into one big mass. Uh, so this is kind of the difference between studying a little bit every day uh, versus studying, a uh, cramming the night before a test, right? Distributed versus massed. I brought up um, this distinction before when we looked at uh, the serial position effect, the primacy effect and recency effect, and that one of the reasons why distributed practice works better is that um, you're essentially uh, fixing it so that you've got a lot of beginnings and ends, starts and uh, finishes, and your brain is tuned to remember those more easily so that you're essentially uh, using what you know about how your brain normally works or uh, works the most easiest, uh, in order to um, uh, make it so that uh, that information is easier to remember. There's, of course, other reasons why distributed practice works better than mass practice. Actually, let me go back, because I didn't even tell you that it does work better. Distributed practice always seems to work better than mass practice. And what that comes down to is that, essentially, uh, they've done studies where they have people learn something, say, in 10-minute segments over uh, five days. Versus have another group of people learn something in fifty minutes all at once. Notice that's the same amount of time, and the people who learn it by massed practice just don't do well on don't don't do as well on a test of it as people who learned it uh, by distributed practice. Notice there that. Uh, that distributed practice doesn't necessarily have to take more time and in fact you can use less time spread out uh, Than if you would have to do all at once crammed practice and still learn it better. So distributed practice definitely works better um, What I got ahead of myself on a little bit here is why it works better and uh, one is that serial position effect um, the other, uh, one other has to do with attention and that uh, it's much easier to maintain your attention and concentration for short periods of distributed practice than for a long period of mass practice, right? You ever tried to cram for an exam? That's a terrible idea, uh, terrible thing to do, but people have tried it and they find that after a while their brain just gets fatigued and they just can't really concentrate on stuff, right? That doesn't happen as much with distributed practice. Another thing that um, distributed practice does for us is it gives us periods of sleep in between our learning. Now we haven't talked about sleep yet so much in this chat in this uh, course. We will in gosh, is it the next chapter? I'm not even sure right now, but um, we will talk about sleep in more detail. And one of the things that happens while we sleep is that our memories are consolidated. That is stuff that we encountered during that day, whether it was stuff that we're trying to remember or just stuff that happened in the course of the day, is being um, essentially sorted and categorized and uh, and, and stored in a much more efficient way while we're asleep. And so, sleep is good for learning—not um, just being rested, but also spend, having your time, having your brain spend some time in sleep allows it to remember stuff better. So, obviously, if you're distributing your practice sessions or your study sessions over a number of days, you have many more opportunities for your brain to consolidate those memories, rather than in mass practice where you may only have one, if at all, <laughs> right? Of uh, Uh, after you cram for a test and then go take the test. So a lot of reasons why distributed practice works better. Um, A lot of memory strategies, uh, as I alluded to before, rely on deeper processing. The more deeply we can process information, the more um, uh, easy it's going to be to remember it later on. Um, A lot of memory strategies rely on just finding some way to deepen the processing. Um, This is um, kind of what is meant when people talk about um, active learning or active reading. Uh, Getting actively engaged with things is a way to process more deeply so that if you are uh, reading a textbook. Uh, there are scientifically proven ways to read textbooks better. Um, I would love to be able to tell you about them. I'm hoping that they teach you some of this in those ACA classes uh, that a lot of y'all have to take. But um, uh, but one of them is the um, SQ4R Method or something like that. Um, uh, it's actually changed over time. It used to be three R's, but I think it's SQ4R: uh, Survey, Question, Recite, Reflect, something like that. There's different steps in it. Where essentially, as you're reading the textbook, you know, you're stopping and asking questions about what may happen later in your re- what happened next in your reading, reviewing what happened before, organizing things. And experimentally, that is, in experiments run by psychologists, they find that when people actually go through all those steps, they can spend less time with the textbook and remember it better. Right? Uh, so, you know, uh, ways of deepening processing. This is one of the reasons why I'm always encouraging you to ask questions um, while you're in class. Uh, if you're ask, if you're active. If you're asking questions, that probably means that you're actively engaged with, hey, what does this mean? And what does that have to do with this other thing? Right? And so you're definitely processing it more deeply than if you're just trying to um, uh, soak in information. Um, the analogy of your brain as a sponge is kind of not really very realistic. We don't just soak in information. We have to um, engage that information and do something with it. So if you've got to be in class, or you got to be listening to a podcast, or you got to be at a lecture, why not use that time uh, deeply engaged or actively engaged with the material? And then you have to spend less time staring at a screen later on trying to study it. right? Um, This is also the reason uh, that I encourage you to think of examples uh, of things, especially things from your own life. Uh, Generating examples is a good way of processing things deeply. Uh, The last one that I'll mention here is the testing effect. The testing effect is the phenomenon that um, once people are tested on something, they tend to remember that thing better than if they hadn't been tested on it. Um, uh, let me be clear about what this, exactly what this means. Um, uh, that if you, um, take people and give them, I don't know, an hour to learn something, and then you test some of those people, uh, and then, um, Uh, you see how much, and then you test them later on how much they're able to learn. Uh, and you take another group of people and they spend that same amount of time learning and then they just do whatever they don't, they're not tested on it or they don't test themselves on it. And then you give them the real test. Um, the people who took a practice test in a sense are going to remember it much better. Um, and, uh, this is one of the reasons why a lot of times, um, giving yourself small, um, Uh, Quizzes and things along the way can be very helpful. Uh, Your textbook has some test questions at the end of each chapter uh, for doing kind of practice quizzes. This is also, by the way, one of the reasons why I give you so many tests in this in this class. Um, uh, I give you a lot more tests than a lot of teachers. Uh, You know, six tests plus a final exam ends up being a lot of tests. But part of, and that's also the reason why um, uh, I, um, I have you review your tests afterwards, so that you can learn from the test uh, and the experience of it, so that you're much more likely to remember it later on. Um, uh, This is also one of the reasons why uh, doing study sessions with other people can be a good idea, if that's possible for you, um, because you can test one another and see, you know, ask questions and uh, explain things. And am I getting this right? Does that seem right to you? Or what is the answer to this? And so you're essentially using that testing effect in order to um, uh, remember things better. All right. So lots of strategies. Um, The end result of all this is that if you can know how your memory works, which is what we have been talking about in this chapter, then you can use that to your advantage, essentially to make it easier for yourself to remember stuff that you want to remember um, or that you need to remember, right? Uh, Tune into the ways that your brain is tuned to naturally remember some stuff more easily than others and that'll lead you to brain hacks or memory hacks uh, that, um, that make it easier to remember whatever it is that you want to remember, right? All right, um, that's it for this chapter, I guess. Um, <clears throat> nobody is necessarily born with a great memory. People say that they have a good memory or not, but it all comes down to how we use it. We can always make our memories better uh, than, they, um, than they are now.